This afternoon, we open the Word of God, both in the Old Testament again and in the New Testament. We first read from the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 9, the verses 1 through 7. And then we turn to almost the back of the Bible, and we read from the first epistle of John, chapter 3 and chapter 4. I will repeat that as we go. So our first passage we find in Genesis 9, the verses 1 through 7. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. We now turn to John's first epistle, chapter 3, and we read the verses 11 through 17. 1 John 3, verse 11, again, we continue to hear the Word of God. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he lay down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? We now continue in chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. So far, the reading of God's holy word. The sermon of this afternoon, brothers and sisters, we find in the sixth commandment of the ten words of our Lord, as we heard them this morning. And what we confess regarding it in Lord's Day 40 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So we continue the exposition of the doctrine of salvation by looking this afternoon at Lord's Day 40. There we echo the word of God when we confess, what does God require in the sixth commandment? I am not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds, whether personally or through another. Rather, I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover, I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself. Therefore also the government bears the sword to prevent murder. But does this commandment speak only of killing? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that He hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that He regards all these as murder. Is it enough, then, that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? No. When God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, He commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward Him, to protect Him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. That's Lord's Day 40. In response to the sermon, we will be singing from hymn 79, all five stanzas. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there are quite a few topics, brothers and sisters, which we can bring up and discuss in the context of the Sixth Commandment. Matters such as abortion, euthanasia, suicide, violence, bullying, terrorism, safety come to mind instantly. There is no commandment as relevant as this one in our society today or so it seems. You shall not murder, the Lord says in His holy law. You shall not touch someone else's life. That sounds very absolute and definite, so much so that some people have difficulty with the death penalty, with warfare, or even with the killing of other creatures. Today especially, the horror of abortion requires our attention very much. 
Yes, with it comes questions, not only about <coughs> the beginning of human life, but also concerning the end of it. Who determines this life? Who is responsible for it? And who decides what's feasible, useful, and sensible? Then we have to realize very consciously, beloved, that life is endangered today. That too is the reality. And that reality should not just stand out in our minds through regular reports on terrorist attacks making numerous victims, also the thousands of murders in the womb, the subtle ways of ending the lives of the ailing, the old aged, and the handicapped, or the easy murders that are committed because for many the neighbor's life isn't worth anything, show that human life is under severe threats. The protection of life by the neighbor or through legislation is in question, even in spite of government anti-crime policies or anti-gun strategies. More and more people tend to take the life into their own hands, literally their own life or the life of others, the right to live and the right to die also. Well, that situation cannot just be remedied, beloved, by some superficial talk about man's human rights, about the sense of life, or about the purpose of some lives in particular. Even the preaching may not address this reality by dealing with some relevant topics. That's not what the preaching is for anyway. Only in the light of God's Word will we be able to expose the depth of these matters. The Lord Himself, the Creator and Giver of life, must open our eyes to the real matter at stake here. That will place us all in the light of His will for our life. Well, that Word and that will is very wide and very deep. It shows deep backgrounds as well as rich perspectives. That's why I proclaim the Word of God to you in the Sixth Commandment as we confess it in Lord's Day 40. The Lord requires from His children a hearty love for human life. He created that life in His image, our first point. He intended that life for His glory, our second point. So I summarize the message of this afternoon as follows. The Lord requires from His children a hearty love for human life. He created that life in His image. He intended that life for His glory. So first of all, He created that life in His image. Genesis 9, verse 6, brothers and sisters, is a well-known text. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made man. It's special proof of God's grace, indeed, that the Lord put it this way just after the flood. The whole human race, almost, had succumbed in the waters that covered the earth. 
The people were punished for their sins and wickedness. Then Noah and his family may stand on the earth again, which was cleansed of all its evil, and they hear the word of the Lord, you shall not shed the blood of man, for I created man in my image. With these words, the Lord recalled the beginning of his work of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. That's how he had made it, that good and wonderful creation. Man was good, very good. The crown of God's works of creation created in the image of God. Now the Lord, beloved, could not forget this wonderful beginning or ignore it. He wants to hold on to it even after the fall into sin, also after he punished the world with the flood. Even though the Lord doesn't see that in man anymore due to sin and corruption, he keeps saying it. He reminds himself and us of the beginning, of the way it was. I am the creator of all that lives, and I made man in my image the crown of my whole creation. That's how he placed himself before me in paradise. And that's how I lived with man and man with me. That was life, true life in my presence, to my honor and glory. The first man, Adam, lived with God, and he was given to live with his neighbor, his wife, woman also. That's life, in communion with God and the neighbor. It's a life in which you live for God, obey His will, and meet your purpose and calling here on earth. Then sin came into this world. Sin broke through that reality, ruined that life. Then with sin, death came into this world as well. The bond with God was broken. Also, the relationships with the neighbor were disrupted. That's death real death. It shows in the enmity to God and in the hatred to the neighbor. That was the root also of the first marriage conflict between Adam and Eve and the cause behind the first murder on earth. Sure, Adam was still there, walking around on the earth, breathing and with a regular heartbeat, Human existence continued on earth, yet Adam was dead, dead in sin and trespasses, dead in his hatred and lovelessness, dead because he wanted to live without God and his neighbor and outside of God. Adam's heart was closed, locked up for God and for Eve, his wife, and away from his neighbor. Also, the heart of his son, Cain, was a source of death, of evil and corruption. That's where the root of envy, hatred, anger, and revenge was located, which produced death, murder. 
Cain belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother, Abel. The first murder, beloved, took place in the church near the altar. That's where the murderer from the beginning started his work. That's where he got his first chance to bring death into Adam's family. For man had opened the door of his heart for the evil one. And from there it continued as well throughout the ages, in the church, in the family, and in marriage. People are inclined to hate each other, remove one another, and strike each other, and no one is safe from the desire of revenge. That's the sin against the Sixth Commandment. The hearts are closed shut without an opening to God or to the neighbor. In that heart there is envy, hatred, and jealousy, anger, and the desire of revenge. Then we confess with the Heidelberg Catechism that these are not just the beginnings while murder could be the terrible outcome of it. No, God considers this all as murder. So where do we find murderers? In the penitentiary, safely locked away in our federal prisons? No, beloved, not just there, also here in the church. The Heidelberg Catechism, beloved, refers us to 1 John 3, verse 15, where we read, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. With that word, God has come to address us, his people, not because of a potential problem in our midst, but because of the actual reality in our heart. Perhaps it may not seem that way or appear from our peaceful composure, our peaceful coexistence, or our decent behavior. Yet, with His Word, the Lord looks right through the veneer of our life, the cover of our heart, and he sees how you think about your neighbor. He sees the envy, the jealousy, and the anger which keep you cool and distant from each other. He knows the thoughts and considerations of the heart by which we reject one another. Yes, says the Lord Jesus, even if you call your neighbor an idiot or a fool or so, you are a murderer who deserves the most severe sentence and are in danger of the fire of hell. Now, why is it necessary, beloved, to make the case for the Sixth Commandment to such an extent? Is it really necessary to bring up even those few words which we think so easily or even speak impulsively. Yes, it is, for it is in the heart that we find the origin of murder. It is in the mind that the roots of our sins are found. 
That's where it begun, with Cain, with Moses, with David, with Haman, with Judas. That's where it started, with Hitler, with Morgenthaler, with Osama bin Laden, and with other leaders in genocides. That's also the origin of all those who claim their human rights, the rights of women and the rights of a good death, while they deny the right of the Creator, the rights which God has for all human life. Yet that's what the Lord reminds us of this afternoon. He sees it all and knows, and all these sins call for his judgments. For anyone who sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made man. That's where we have to end up, beloved, at the Lord, our God, who created man in his image. He still wants to see people as image-bearers of Him. That's what determines every man's unique value, regardless of color, intelligence, age, or health. He still wants to be acknowledged as the origin of life, the Maker who formed our life in the mother's womb. It is and remains a great honor to be man. That's why the Heidelberg Catechism mentions dishonor as the first way in which the Sixth Commandment can be transgressed. Who else, therefore, but he should decide over life? All of life belongs in God's hands. All of life is created for His glory. As long as there is life, therefore, God holds on to this purpose, keeping the door open for life and communion with Him. And so we come to our second point. He intended that life for His glory. Man, brothers and sisters, did seek death and has brought eternal judgment over himself. Yet the Lord continues with His work, with His plan. He does not let go of His work from the beginning. He pursues His work for the restoration and renewal of this good world. That's why the Lord expressed His restrictions in Genesis 9 regarding another flood. There would not be another flood like that on the earth. That's also the reason why God restrains the power of sin and evil the power of lawlessness, as the Apostle Paul discloses in 2 Thessalonians 2. That's why he gave the power of the sword into the hands of the authorities too, to control the powers of wickedness in man. God wants to protect human life and preserve it in order to work with it, to work on it with a view to the future. That's why He came to us too, because He wants to take us along to His future. That's because He did not forget the beginning. He wants to restore the paradise relationship 
the paradise communion. That's then also the gospel in the sixth commandment, brothers and sisters. It's the divine calling for us all. Love life with all your heart. Honor all human life as a creation of God. See what God wants to accomplish with it. There is no life without purpose, senseless life. As men, we do not have the right to terminate it unlawfully because there is no use for it. Rather, try to see reasons and purposes which God may have with it yet for the life of others, for the love from others. Look at God's purpose with the lives of everyone living together in communion because life in communion with God and with the neighbor. For the Lord is still busy at work now in his work of recreation. He is working for the renewal of all things in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is that work, that renewing power of Christ, which we see at work in our life as well. Yes, we have to open our heart, our life, for that work. For it is by the regeneration, the renewal of our life only, that we obtain a true, a sincere, a hearty love and respect for life. Since that work begins in our own life, in our own heart, beloved, we must first examine our heart and life. We must admit and confess our sins against the sixth commandment. No, then you may not hide behind your own character traits. I can't help it that I'm so stubborn, that I'm stuck in my anger so long, for that's the way I am. That's not true, my brother. That's not at all how we were. And my dear sister, God wants to see you change too. Yes, He Himself changes you by His Holy Spirit. He works on us to renew us so that we may look more and more the way God intended us to live. That's what we call the daily renewal of our life. This commandment is hard for us, especially when the neighbor lives very close to us, when they are placed on our path, or even more, when they get in your way. Then especially the Word of the Lord confronts us, penetrates into the depths of our heart and mind when He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That will bring struggles in your life, struggles between the Holy Spirit and your flesh. For these two are directly opposed to each other. Then we are called again by the Holy Spirit to live by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit. It is through this work, beloved, that we see the kingdom of God breaking through in this world. Yes, says the Apostle Paul to the believers in Galatia, and if you continue 
to live in hostility, in anger, with animosity, in coldness to each other, at home, in the church, or in the midst of this world, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. The sixth commandment pursues more than just an approach of staying out of each other's way or trying not to be a bother to each other. Loving your neighbor means concretely, we confess, that we show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness towards them. It means also that we do not keep ranting and raving, that we do not continue in resentment and with grudges, and that we do not stubbornly stick to our own peeves and hang-ups, but rather reconcile with the neighbor and work to keep it good. God wants that we treat the neighbor the way we want the neighbor to treat us. Envy, hatred, and anger have to leave our hearts while patience, mercy, and love must fill up our hearts. These all belong to the fruit of the Spirit, the result of His work, beloved. That's how Christ's word will be fulfilled when He says, be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, verse 48. Well, that word for perfect denotes consistency. Be consistent in love. Bring it to completion, to conclusion, to maturity. That's not just half-half or to some extent only, or that reaches so far and no further, for then I run out of patience. No. This love extends to the point that we even love our enemies. That's how far we have to go, because the Father goes that far. That's how, he, how far He went with us, too. He did not even spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all when we were still enemies. That's when God reconciled Himself to us and showed us His love by having His Son pay for our sins. That's how merciful and long-suffering He was towards us. He came to seek enemies to save them. He came to seek sinners who did not want anything to do with Him. That's how far He wants us to go as well, consistently in our love for the neighbor. And that's possible only through Jesus Christ, by His Holy Spirit. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. The Lord Jesus commands as He explains God's will in the Sixth Commandment. And then he doesn't just appeal to the goodwill of his disciples. No, he holds up to them the example of the Father for that too. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Matthew 5, verse 45. When we want to be children of the Father, 
we should be just as generous and good towards the neighbor as he is. No, that doesn't mean that you have to be sweet and smiley and agreeable to everyone all the time. No, this love of the Father is rooted and grounded in his justice and in his truth. He wants that all men come to the knowledge of the truth. Till the very last day, the Father calls them all to repentance from their rebellion against him. As long as they are alive, there is a way back to him in Jesus Christ. That's the truth we have to hold up to them too. That's the truth we must confess regarding ourselves and about them. The truth that we are still so hateful and loveless and that we are called to fight terrorism not only on a global scale, but also in our own heart. With this truth, we must seek our neighbor as well for his salvation. Then you do good, the way the Father radiates his goodness and love. This is the commandment which you receive from your heavenly Father, brothers and sisters. You shall not murder, but love human life as the work of God's hands. That's something very different indeed from talking about human rights. Such talk doesn't have a future, for people are not merciful or gentle by nature, but rather harsh, egoistic, and loveless. They are by nature enemies of God and of each other. God wanted it to be different, though, that's why he is at work to make it different. That's for our salvation, that we may receive life back from him and communion with him through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's a life for God, a life as his children to his honor and glory. Then in this honor and glory given to him, we show our thankfulness for his work of love in Jesus Christ. Then in our mercy and peace with the neighbor, we show our thankfulness for the mercy he has shown us so richly and for the peace he worked by giving his own son into us, that he might give us life, true life, that's how we may follow the Father, beloved, and go in the steps of his Son. Then it's not enough that you are against abortion or euthanasia, but then we show our love for life in our life with God and the neighbor. Yes, then we show care and concern for our neighbor because we believe and confess that for God, our neighbor's life is valuable since he created them in his image. Then by our attitude and conduct towards the neighbor, our neighbor might be one for Christ. Then the neighbor also will repent and live for him. That's his deepest motive with this commandment. Dear children, John writes, let us love one another, for love comes from God. 
Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. Amen.